Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Green Line offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Matteo Esgheri is a person who spreads happiness and good humour everywhere he goes. Based in the town of Bra, where his family winery has been located since the 1880s, he's responsible for a series of outstanding and great value Piedmontese whites and reds. Listen to his chat about Nebbiolo clones, his short career as a chartered accountant, his political responsibilities, and why making wine is like driving a Formula One car. Hi, Matteo, how are you? Oh, well, okay, this is good. It's, uh, it's nice to be online with you. But you. You're always good. I mean, you're one of the most cheerful people I know. You, you, you enjoy eating and drinking, you like people, you're always fun. <laughs> too kind, Tim, too kind, yeah, okay. I'm trying to enjoy life, trying to do good wines. That is the most important thing. Well, I think you do both. You enjoy, you enjoy life and you do good wines, so I'm looking forward to talking about them. Um, you're in Bra, presumably, aren't you? Yeah, of course, uh, in the office of the winery. Exactly, trying to take care about my desk and uh, uh, yes, in this nice, nice place. It's a good Sunday, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at one point, I think you was you told me you were going to try and make a wine called Wonder Bra, right? Ah, yeah. Okay, it's easy. You know, the name Bra is in English. It's something that gives uh, a lot of inspiration in this way. So Wonder Bra is always nice to, to express. <laughs> I mean, talking of Bra, you were born in Bra. You're, you're the sixth generation of your family uh, to run this winery. It's been based there since 1880. Tell us about Bra, because it's quite unusual. It's got this royal connection, uh, and it's just outside Barolo. It's in Ruero, so it's quite different in a way. Yeah, you're right. But Bra had always logistic function, uh, mostly in the 19th century, because it uh, was, and still nowadays, best connected with Torino. Torino is the capital town with the royal house of Savoy. The first connection uh, between Torino and the Ligurian Sea by railway was a railway going from Torino, Braceva, and Savona. So exactly, Bride always is logistic function. And in Bride, there were many important wineries, about 10 uh, important wineries. Um, and also, Bride is the name of a cheese, not because it's been produced here, but because it's been seasoned and sold on this market. <laughs> so exactly, is uh, is always this uh, important logistic function. Yeah, but, so, but now now it's just one winery. You're the only one left in in Bra. And what happened to the others? Uh, yeah, okay. There were many important wineries. A couple of them were so important that they bankrupt. But they bankrupt <laughs> for a clear reason: the big depression of 1929. They were already exporting in different places, uh, mostly United States and Japan, and they lost their credits. We were much smaller at the time, so we were able to survive. Our origin, by the way, is in La Mora, where there is a place called Aschere. And we moved here in Brian here 1880 for this reason. So, uh, so yeah. you moved there for, for logistics, basically, to export the wine. Yeah, exactly, exactly, for this reason, because exactly it was um, the most important center 
for the production of the wine and for the commercialization due to the connection with Turin and yeah. also the, this important railway line connecting Torino to the Ligurian Sea and then mm. from Savona to Genoa because the, the, the big problem of Piemonte, you know, Piemonte means at the foot of the mountains. Mm. We are surrounded by the mountains. So logistic and connection were always uh, a big problem because being surrounded by the mountains, connection were always very, very difficult. And Bra is much flatter, right? Yeah, exactly. It's near near the, near the hills on one side, and on the other is on, on the plain. So exactly, as this uh, important aspect. Yeah. yeah. Do, do, I mean, you said you the family's from Lamora, which is inside Barolo. Obviously, it's a famous village. But do you think the fact that you're outside Barolo? logistically in a way does that give you a slightly different perspective do you think on the region uh you're right you know these nice villages are great places to live but you know most of the time rivalry is very big <laughs> it's always a family we're talking about family business so it's always complicated to be in bra uh, i have to say that I'm, I'm a little bit out of this kind of system and this could be positive on my side, much more relaxed, much more out of this uh, situation that you can find in this uh, neighborhood situation, you know. Yeah, maybe you're not quite as involved in the politics in a way that because you because you 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 can go home in the evening, can't you? <laughs> exactly. I don't meet many other people, many other <laughs> producers. It's quite relaxing at the end. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you studied economics and, and commerce, didn't you, rather than minology, even though you're a winemaker too. But and then you even had a short career as a chartered accountant, I mean, very short, right? Well, what made you decide to go into the family business? I mean, presumably that was always the idea, was it? Yeah, but when I was a student uh, in the family, the idea was, uh, and my father said to me, that a good winemaker, you can always hire other winemakers, mm. but a good manager, not really. Mm. So I studied economy and commerce. I'm glad to, to have done these kind of studies. And after, I, uh, I studied also winemaking, of course. So this was my reason. And I, I, I had this function for uh, one year, one year and a half. Then, unfortunately, my father was quite sick. So uh, he passed away in 1988. So it's my turn. I worked mm. with him for three years. And then in 1988 was my turn to take over. Yeah, because you took took over in your mid twenties, really. I mean, I just wondered, was that was that scary? Was that daunting? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was a was a moment of big changes. Of course, mm. in my life, but also in all the region. You know, you remember that in 1986 we had the big scandal, the methanol scandal, mm. and was the time of many things were changing in the area with uh, your newcomers, um, so-called modernists and traditionalists on the other side. So I'm glad also that I had the chance to to live this kind of experience, to uh, know what was before uh, what is today. So it's important for me to give an idea about the evolution that we were able to achieve. Uh, so yeah, was was uh, was uh, scary, was uh, complicated, but at the same time exciting because many things were going on. And, and did you decide to change things as soon as you arrived or did you wait for a bit? Uh, of course, because changes were uh, exactly on the way. I told you about uh, the, the big uh, impulse uh, due to the newcomers. Um, and so the first important thing was completely renovate all our vineyards. We were already we had good properties. We had the chance to buy also new vineyards. But the idea is to work to renovate completely in the vineyards using better stocks and better selections. Mm. That is important everywhere, but most in places like Piemonte, where we work with local grapes mm. and uh, where we have the ph philosophy of the monovarietal. So it's even more important than other places to achieve the best result in the vineyard. 
I mean, were vineyards cheaper because of the methanol scandal? I mean, how did that affect? Because it killed people, didn't it? I mean, it was very serious. Yeah, uh, yeah it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare due to bad people, of course, mm. uh, with sophisticated wine and all these kind of things. So, uh, yes, of course, uh, it was much cheaper. And uh, we are just at the beginning of the evolution. A couple of years of really uh, big, big problems. And then an evolution that was already started at an incredible impulse and everything went very, very fast. So mm. from the 90s on, uh, situation changed from the middle of the 90s. Yes, exactly. And so it's there where uh, interest on land, on buying properties just started in our area. So was Barolo quite poor then compared with what it's like now? Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, no way. Incredible, uh, incredible uh, situation. Yeah. The land, uh, but also the people. The people were leaving the countryside, going to work in big town like Torino mm. or working in factories or, uh, uh, you know, in Alba, there are important places like Ferrero. Mondo is Mondo is producer of rubber Mirolio for textile, mm. so it was quite uh, normal that people and the the countryside has been abandoned by by families. So it was mm. quite a a bad moment for the area. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a difficult moment when you came into the business in '88. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit. You've got vineyards in three different locations. They're very different. You've got Bra, where you are now, obviously, in La Mora, where in Verduno, where the, where the family originally came from, and in Serralunga, yeah? Yeah. Um, just tell us about what styles of wine you produce in each, and why are they so different? Is it the soil types? Oh, definitely, yes. The soil, the microclimate is something you cannot change. And, uh, of course, you can make a lot of analysis to understand what you have. But on the other side, also experience. If you have a farmer working in these uh, plot for 50 years and if he tell you some advice he's right i mean that he knows a lot so uh but the, the differences are big la mora and verduno much more elegant and refined style of wine Salunga much more powerful much more classical Mm-hmm. And this is important, you know, because we would like to exalt the differences. Bra is in Royero, so Bra uh, sandy soil. Mm-hmm. And there we had the idea to try something different. We planted also not native varietals in 1993, mm-hmm. something like Sira and Viognier, like a silly project. But okay, still still <laughs> working, still going on, yeah. And, and Cedrolunga has more has more limestone as well? Uh, yeah, what we call marrow. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. So it's exactly more, uh, it's a soil that gives much more depth, much more, uh, also good good elegance. That, that mm-hmm. is the, 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 the key point, to have the power character mm-hmm. and the elegance on the other side. And Cedrolunga probably is the best place to achieve these kind of things. Well, the most long-lived Barolo. Uh, yes, exactly. But uh, really on balance, you know, balance is the most important thing then regarding the wine production. It's one of my hitters. I mean, that we like to, to achieve balanced wine, the yeah. production of the wine. Well, I think you do that very well. Gracias. It's interesting. I mean, I, I think Barolo and Barbaresco too, where you don't have vineyards, but they're often compared to, to Burgundy because they're lots of small parcels and crew as well. Do, do you think that's a relevant comparison? Do you, do you like being compared to Burgundy? Of course, is is a good comparison. Then, in a word, I need also simplification. Yeah, Tuscan is much more similar to Bordeaux, mm-hmm. but coming back to Piemonte, yeah, native varietals, Nebbiolo, Barbera, Dolcetto for the white, for the reds, and then for the whites, Cortese, Arnese, and many others. So local grapes, grapes that. Thanks God, they are not producing great wines in other parts of the world, so we are very lucky. <laughs> not many great Nebbiolos. Outside, outside yes, yeah, okay. So 
<laughs> so that's positive. Third aspect, monovarietal style. So all the wines are made with 100% of uh, one grape. And fourth aspect, not so technical, but much more economical and historical, family business. Yeah. Family business means different background, different approach, different style of production. In this way, Piemonte is very similar to Burgundy. White Tuscany, much more similar to Bordeaux. Big estates in, mm. in the end of nobilia family or nowadays uh, financial companies. Mm. And uh, the idea to produce, uh, to blend different varietals like in the Chianti, like in the Bordeaux. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a good comparison, of course. Mm. I think it's why I feel more at home in Piemonte than I do in Tuscany, I like Tuscany, <laughs> but I mean, I, I, and also, you know, when you when you're in Piemonte, you can speak French. I mean, a lot of people speak French, don't they? Uh, we are very nearby to, to France. Our kingdom, Sawa, is coming from France, so mm-hmm. we have a lot of relationship. Our dialect is very similar to uh, French language. Hmm. So we have a lot of connection, much more. Uh, yeah, we have just the Alps that are divided. There are huge differences. <laughs> well, that's quite big, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. huge differences at the end, but uh, we have a, we are not so far away. So yeah. exactly. Of course, these are comparisons. These are simplification. But yeah, in of the world, yeah, okay. It's, it's yeah. Give give you an idea about the differences. Yeah. I, mean, I want to talk a little bit more about Nebbiolo, this incredible grape mm-hmm. variety. It's interesting that you work with what you call a family. Of, of clones and massal selections rather than a single sort of super clone of Nebbiolo. You also have a preferred rootstock, which is 420A for any geeks listening to the podcast. I just wonder how are those styles and those choices reflected in the styles of wine that you make? Uh, you know, it's so important. You know, uh, you, you have a plot where, where you would like to plant the vineyards. This is the most important thing. I told you that you have to understand, to, to know by experience and by analysis what you have. Uh, and then you have to create the vineyards. It's like to build a house. Yeah. Uh, and then you need the, the right material, and then you have to build your house according what you would like to to have. Mm-hmm. And for a vineyard, means uh, according to the soil, the position, the microclimate, and the wine that you would like to produce from these plots. So mm-hmm. rootstocks and selections are the most important thing. Uh, in my in my evolution, in, in my experience in the wine business, in the 90s was a crucial moment where the research here in Piemonte started to uh, produce and to develop. Uh, nice interesting clones mm. until that days uh, the demand was for very productive clones mm. then everything changed exactly from the end of the 80s beginning of the 90s mm. of course you need um, good amount of years, like say 12, 14 years before, from the moment that you have the request and when the material is available. But yeah. it was also for six years president of the Center of Research in Piemonte regarding wines and wine. So I took advantage to search. <laughs> so you knew, uh, you knew what the best clones were? Yes, exactly. And then it's not to have a super clone, uh, but mm. families of clones, because it's not just you have just uh, one aspect that is the most important. You need to to, to use different kind of selection there and uh, according uh, to mix a little bit. For instance, you know, the famous Nebbiolo Rosé, that is a clone that is a number, CN111, uh, it could be nice in, in a percentage of 5-10%. Mm. But 100% would be too much. Uh, it could be because the color is so light and then it's very elegant, very fine, but you can achieve better results. So you have to mix a little bit according, as I told you, the soil that, that you have and the idea of the one that you would like to use from this soil. Yeah. It's similar to the Formula One uh, uh, Grand Prix. You, the vineyard is the car, and mm. then you have to drive the car in the right way. 
So you need a winning car, but you have to be a winning driver. If you have a winning car and you are not a good driver, so you manage the winning not in a great way, the result is not good. And also on the other side. So that is the most important. Then in, in, the, in, in the winery, it's time to understand what you have to use or not. Yeah. You need the combination, don't you? T- t- tell me a little bit about working with, with Nebbiolo. I mean, you've mentioned colour, that sometimes it's very pale in colour, like Pinot Noir, very often. Um, you know, it often has quite a bit of tannin and acidity. Um, it's a very site-specific grape because it only works in certain places. I wonder, what are the, what are the challenges and, and the advantages, if you like, the joys of working with Nebbiolo? Uh, the joys, of course, that we have, uh, we're working with one of the most important red varietal. And then to produce a great red wine, you need a great red grape. And Nebbiolo is part of this category that is a maximum of 10 grapes, not 100, 200 grapes. Mm-hmm. But it's very complicated. Uh, yeah, you, you, you gave good uh, comparison with Pinot Noir. Light mm-hmm. in color, very pale. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a big problem in the 80s and in the 90s, comparing certain markets, maybe United States, where they were, they, they were acquiring very dark uh, color wine. And this was a mistake uh, because the viola is, 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 is completely different. But uh, th- what it makes Nibiru interesting is that it's elegant, refined, and powerful at the same time. Mm. But we have to try to work on a key point that is balance. Mm. And you, we have to pay attention to the balance between the tannic structure, the acidity, the fruit content, the alcohol content. The big problem are the tannic extraction that sometimes is too, too much. And then the risk is that you have wines that are not really nice and enjoyable also in the early days. This is a problem mm-hmm. on my side. So we have to work on uh, the extraction of tannins. Everything starts in the vineyard using the right selection first. And then in the winery, trying to be very light in the extraction. We don't want to uh, to extract too much at the end from, from the grape itself. Somebody once said to me, it's like making tea rather than coffee. <laughs> yes, exactly. Could be a good comparison. It's yeah. an infusion. Right? Ah, okay. I, 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 will, uh, I will use this kind of thing. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. It's, it's, it's nice. It's, it's a good point. Yeah, it's like, like I mean, you talking talk about some of those very deeply colored wines that we saw in the 90s and early 2000s. How were people getting that color? Were they blending other things, do you think, with it, with Nebbiolo? I mean, uh, they were shortening uh, maceration. Uh, using equipment like rotofermenters. Uh, before uh, extraction were made by maceration of days, mm. uh, longer, longer, long period, long maceration. And the maceration has been reduced to 36, 48 hours, mm. uh, trying to extract more color because the, the color is extracted in the first uh, period. And then after this, to fix color using the smaller size barrel, the famous mm. uh, barriques. Mm. But the risk is that exactly you are not extracting too much. We have to extract, but not in the right way. So mm. we need to extract in this way. This way. And then, of course, the other point was blending, if, even if it was not allowed mm. with other varietal. Mm. And this was to, to, please, to please certain markets. Yeah. And that is the, the problem. It is a problem for all the wine producers. You know. We try to develop our own ideas. Mm. I think the same thing happened in Burgundy. You know, that people wanted deeply coloured wine. Yeah, but at the end of the day, you know, we have big pressure on our head, mm. and the, the pressure are uh, linked to the market, mm. wine critics, 
Mm, I'm sorry. <laughs> we have to talk about <laughs> and, and the other aspect is that every region normally has kind of models of success. And yeah. so many producers, they try to copy this model. So instead of developing your own ideas, you try to please the market, to please the wine critics, to copy mm. model of success. The, the, the risk is that you're bouncing from one side to the other without no. knowing it's, why. It's yeah, exactly. So, on the other hand, uh, you have to try to develop your own ideas. Yeah. Wine has to be an expression easily of a place, whatever mm. it is, of a grape planted over there, and of the ideas of the wine producers. Yeah. And But to achieve this, probably you need your entire life. So it's something that is a long-term commitment in our yes. business. It's not, it's not like making beer that every day you can try something different. Yeah, we you have, get one chance, right? Each year. Yeah, one chance each year. And then, you know, when you plant a vineyard, you need uh, a lot of years to achieve the best results. Yeah. So, yeah. Tell me about, I mean, Dolcetto and Barbera, the other two famous uh, Piemontese red grapes. Um, you grow those, obviously, and you make them very to a very good standard. Um in the right place and in the right hands, are they capable of greatness like Nebbiolo or are they never going to be as great as Nebbiolo? Uh, no, Nebbiolo on my side, you know, on my idea is something that uh, is unbeatable in this way. Of course, you can always achieve, try to achieve from Barbera and, and, and Dolcetto a certain standard. Mm-hmm. But for instance, for me, it's not the case because we already have Barolo. So there is no reason for me to produce a Dolcetto or a Barbera similar to a Barolo. So we don't mm. want to extract too much or to age this wine in wood. And the idea with Dolcetto Barbera for me is to work on the primary cast of the grape. So to have a much more fruiter style of wine that is a great, great, both are great wines with different kind of styles, but they, they play another, another league compared mm. to Barolo. And there is no reason on my idea, being a producer of Barolo, because that is the, the reason why, being a producer of Barolo to try to produce a Barbera or a Dolcetto that has the same character of a Barolo. So it's like Champions League against Serie A? Uh, yeah, Serie A nowadays is really bad. <laughs> Maybe so, not that bad. So the gap is huge. The gap is pretty huge. No, but it's a style. I prefer to have Barbera and Dolcetto, much more fruity style yeah. that you can enjoy very, very young. And then to have Barolo that express the real greatness of the area. Yeah. And, and what about the whites? Because you work with Arnaiz, with Cortese, and of course with Moscato, uh, which is wonderful, I think. Do you think the whites of Piemonte are underrated? I do. I mean, Yeah, that's true, because Piemonte was always known as an important region for red wines. Mm-hmm. For many, many years, the only white wine known uh, uh, in a good way coming from Piemonte was, was Gavi, made from mm-hmm. Cortese grape. And mm-hmm. still nowadays, Gavi is quite famous uh, outside uh, Piemonte for this reason. And also the name Gavi is very easy to... To remember to say for the for the final consumers, but it's coming from a grape. Cortese is a good grape. It's not an exceptional grape. You have to work in vineyard uh, trying to achieve uh, a certain amount of uh, concentration. On my point of view, apart Cortese, hmm. uh, I have to say that Arnais is the other great varietal that that we like. Has more complexity, more traditional fruit, more tropical fruit, more spiciness. Uh, is really an interesting. The problem of the Arnais is is the name. Arnaiz means little rascal. <laughs> in Piedmont- well, I quite like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. But it's difficult to pronounce, difficult to, to say. If you're not the- Italian, maybe. Yeah, and then the denomination is Lange Arnaiz or Roero Arnaiz. It's yeah. more complicated. 
And what about Moscato? Uh, Moscato is, is fantastic. Moscato is a word completely different from uh, from 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 the, from the Barot, but it's very light, five point five in alcohol. Mm. It's enjoyable. Sweet. Yeah, it's sweet. sweet. It's sweet, a little fizzy. Mm. Uh, it's not sparkling because sparkling is as sfumante. It's the same varietal, but it's another wine. Moscato yeah. is just a little uh, little fizzy and 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 sweet, five point five alcohol, and it's fantastic because Moscato is aromatic, so it's something you can enjoy in a summer day with uh, high temperature, also without other things or with some fruit or something like this. I like a lot, you know. Sounds it's very relaxing. It's, very, it's a wine that you can drink without thinking too much about, you know. And we need, but we need, we, this kind especially of wine. right now, we need that, right? Yeah, exactly. We need this kind of wines. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk a bit more about your, your winemaking style. You've talked a little bit a, 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 about it, about the way you're trying to express vineyards. But what would you call it? Was it is it low-tech? Is it respectful? Is it non-intrusive? I mean, I, Karen O'Keefe once described your, your wines, your Barolas, as having a, a Barolo-ness to them, which I think she means that they're they're kind of textbook styles. Is that something that you set Mama up mia. to do? Mamma mia, this is, uh, you know, a lot of responsibility. Uh, no, I have to say that um, it's very simple. Uh, I believe that quality nowadays uh, is an important issue, is the most important issue. But quality is necessary, but it's not enough. The most important thing is to be recognizable. When you drink a wine, it's important that the wine express an area where it comes from, a varietal, and possibly the style of uh, the ideas of the wine producer. To achieve this, I told you that everything starts in the vineyard, but mm. we talk in the winery. The idea is uh, uh, to have a non-intervention philosophy, but not in an in ideological or commercial way. Understand me. We have important tools, technology, wood, additives, and consultants. But these tools may be used in the same way everywhere in the world. So we cannot make differences using, using these tools in an every way. So the aim in the, in the winery is to reduce the amount of these tools at a very minimum level. So we talk about, I used to say, uh, kind of um, talking about music, unplugged version or acoustic version instead of electronic <laughs> one. Or, I like that. Yeah, it's, it's a good, I like music. Or it's like when you, when you cook using great ingredients. There's no need to add many other things to the dish. Yeah. Otherwise, you, the risk is to cover the, the, the ingredients that, that, that you have over there. And for the wine, it's the same. If we have great grapes, there's no need to cover the natural taste with too much of technology, wood, additives, and even more important, the ideas of other people. We have to make the wines according to our ideas. Um, no matter if um, they're right or wrong, simply is our interpretation. But this is what makes yeah things. I think it's interesting you say that because a lot of people in Italy use consultants. A lot of people using the same sort of ten high-profile consultants. But you've said you've always said I don't want consultants because I want to make my own mistakes. <laughs> which which mistakes have you made? Tell us. Have you made mistakes? You thought, oh no, that's terrible. <laughs> uh, Tim, at, at least it's cheaper. <laughs> tell you. <laughs> no way. No, exactly not. The idea that I have today in regarding the production of wine is not the idea that I have in 1988. You evolve, you, you start. We try in a certain moment to extract a lot from the wine. This was part. We, we, the idea is, okay, we have great grapes and we write to, to, to obtain everything possible from this uh, uh, grape that we are bringing in the winery. This was probably a mistake mm. because uh, on the other side, we underrated the, the most important aspect is elegance and finesse. 
And so this was, but okay, you learn from, from the mistakes and it's part of the evolution. I mean, I'm glad that the idea that I have today is not the idea of 30 years ago, mm. but it's an evolution of these, uh, of these things. So, so were you tempted to make that style? Sorry? Were yes. you tempted to make that deeper colored style? Uh, yes, exactly. It was a moment where the idea was trying to work much more on the powerful character, you know, mm. to extract, to have impressive wine in this way. Mm. Uh, and this was not really uh, then the right aspect. Nowadays, it are much more light, uh, lighter approach. In this way, we are much more um, happy about what we are able to yeah. achieve. But okay, it's, it's a natural evolution also. You make mistakes, uh, you understand things. Uh, it's also interesting, you know, um, I'm not uh, staying here in my chair at the office or in the winery all the time. Traveling also is very important. Mm. Meeting people, speaking with them, trying to understand what can be the taste and the taste evol the evolution of the taste uh, mm. in, in, in the future in different places. We are not fast in our reaction. We cannot be flexible. We are always to try to produce something that is in our mind and hopefully that people will enjoy. This is our challenge. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and there's, there's, there's less talk now about the traditional and modern style. In the 1990s, it was very divisive. I get the impression now that, that there aren't two schools anymore. Everybody's got slightly similar ideas, maybe. Would that be fair to say? Uh, the, the battle was very harsh, hard, was a technical battle, was a cultural mm. battle. You know, everything started at the end of the 70s when wineries, uh, the, the world was divided in two parts, our world. Wineries and farmers selling grapes to the wineries. Mm. Wineries were full of wine. Uh, there was a big problem regarding the sales of Barolo, uh, probably because the style was the wrong one, no mm. technical evolution. So the wine was being produced uh, in the same way since uh, under the years. Uh, and, and, and so the market of the grape was very low. So a lot of farmers were forced to produce their own wine because mm. <laughs> they don't want to, they didn't want to, to sell their own grapes at a very low price. Mm. So starting in this way, they started with no background. So they started with a free mind. So mm. they started to introduce new technology, new wood, mm. new way of thinking. Mm. And this was a huge culture. And also they accused the old establishment. They were not able to produce the, the right style of wine. Mm. Making with uh, huge long fermentation, huge extraction, harsh tannins, wines uh, that were deeply aged in in wood, but very big old barrel. Slovenian oak, yeah, yeah, but the wine was almost abandoned over there. Yeah. So at the end of the day, no more fruit. The, the, the mm. color was brown. The wine was almost oxidized, and the tannin was still aggressive. So. <laughs> Really a nightmare. So, so there were good things about the changes, really. Yeah, but then the evolution was very big. But what happens after 20, 25 years of this very harsh and hard battle that the newcomers, they understood that they went too far. That the aim is not just to produce a great wine at all, but try to produce a great Barolo, so something that you may recognize. And so they went back regarding the color extraction, the, the, the powerful and all these kind of things, technologies, new oak. On the other side, the old wineries, they understood that they have to move forward. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they have to do something. And the result is that nowadays you are much more in a, in a common style. 
Yeah. That is a great style. But the result of this style of today that you can taste on Barolo is the result of this harsh butter. Without this evolution, the, 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 the result that we are getting uh, today, well, they are not possible. Yeah, very interesting. Listen, I want to talk to you a little bit more about, about the wines you make um, that are very good value. I mean, you make some more very high-end level wines too from your crew, um, but you also make... Uh, it's one of my favourite Barolos, uh, wine for Tesco under the yeah, Taste the Difference yes, label, which is which is very affordable uh, by Barolo standards. I, I just wonder what are the challenges of making a Barolo in in larger volumes like that with certain price constraints. First of all, to to let uh, Tesco buyer understand about the world of Barolo, this is different from others uh, that are made of uh, small wineries and all these kind of things. So to have a special production, uh, we are. Um, we are able to do this because we work with our own vineyards. We have mm. different selection. We produce four single vineyard selection, but only in the best years. Mm. Single vineyards are much more peculiar mm. in the way we would like to exalt and to work on differences, much more extreme. They are much more extreme. On uh, And then we have a blend, a blend of uh, all our vineyards. And this is the, the part of the selection that we produce for Tesco. Mm-hmm. And blending different places is a traditional way to produce Barolo in our area because we are not blending varietals. So blending uh, different areas can give you the chance to fix a little bit different character, maybe much more elegance, refined spiciness and floral character from Verduno and La Mora, much more uh, mushroom, truffle, leathery character and uh, much more uh, strength coming from Serralunga. So technically speaking, that is the result. So this is exactly what you would like to achieve. Peculiar, extreme on the single vineyard in in order to have really recognizable at a maximum level and much more uh, enjoyable and affordable in the blend style. Yeah, well, I, I thank you for making it because it's great exactly. to drink Barolo at that price. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's always, you know, price is always sometimes uh, linked to, not to the cost of production, but most of the time to the problem of demand and offer. Mm. Sometimes the, 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 the demand is high and the offer, of course, is closed. Mm. So mm. you cannot expand. Yeah, yeah. So most of the high prices are linked then to this kind of aspect. Mm. T- tell me a bit about your, your work because you're president of the, of the local consortium. You've always been very involved in local politics. Um, I just wonder how much of your time does that take up? And do you enjoy it? Uh, it takes a lot of time, definitely, uh, mm-hmm. but I enjoy it. But basically, it's not politics, you know. Um, the association consortium is 540 uh, wineries. So a lot of people. Uh, we That's are, a lot of Italians. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> Keep happy, right? <laughs> a lot of Piedmont. Uh, yeah, uh, we are taking care about nine denominations of the area, but all of the rest are the most important, of course, mm. but then we have also other denominations. So it's a quite complex world. But I'm not uh, uh, talking about politics. Politics is something different. We are entrepreneurs. Mm. So the idea is that our association is an association of entrepreneurs. And and, and for the entrepreneur, uh, the most important thing is to understand what are the problems and try to find solutions. This is the only way that we can act. So this is my approach. And I I hope that these uh, people will uh, appreciate, are appreciating this kind of uh, aspect because politics is something different from us. Mm. We We are not, we are... People working on, 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 on the vineyards, producing wine and selling wine. Yeah. Simply, we are not politics. This is a very but, important thing. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Yeah. But, and also, I think people respect you and like you and, and you have a warm personality. But I think you're probably 
good at telling people to do things when you think no, it's right. Yeah, yeah. But I thank you very much. This is important. It's something that you built on, on your own life. And then at the end of the day, I'm free to say what I'm thinking. Mm. It is the most important thing. I don't have, this is not necessary to have, uh, you know, to say things uh, just to please one or the other. Mm. Uh, if I feel something, I'm completely free to, to say. And this is the most, uh, I try for all, all my life to, to be independent, mm. independent for many other, for all, all the things possible as a person and also as a winery. Uh, and of course, it's not easy to achieve this kind of result. But when um, when you are independent, uh, at least uh, you are. You, first of all, you are thanking yourself uh, about what you are doing, and then uh, you you don't depend from 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 other. This is the most important aspect. Yeah. The final question is: How do you get away from wine? Because as we've heard, you you're busy. You're busy with you know your official duties as president <laughs> of the consortium. You're running a big winery. You've also got a hotel where I've stayed. It's a fantastic, hotel. and you've got a restaurant as well. Um, <laughs> do you mia. find time to do anything else, or are you or are you just busy the whole time? You have got three kids. So. Uh, yeah, exactly. I try to to do something to relax. Um, a much more relaxing thing is to watch my kids play. They play basket in, in the minors, uh, so nothing special. But okay, it's the most important, nice thing. So during the weekend, I'm enjoying their games, basketball, uh, right? Basketball, yeah, exactly. Uh, and and then it's, it's a nice thing. <laughs> and then of course do some travel. I like very much to be at the seaside. I'm trying to, to to find different places. Of course, in the last two years, this was not possible. I'm trying to uh, restart again to, mm. to do some. And holidays are always quite short, one week mm. maximum. Because oh. then exactly... Then you've got to go back again. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things to take care of. You, you, you told yeah. before. Yeah, but I, something. And, I mean, have you ever wanted to make wine anywhere else? Has anybody ever asked you to do a joint venture and make a Nebbiolo somewhere else in the world? Or I mean, I, I know you've got a connection in Chianti, haven't you, with, with Rocca delle Macie? Yes, but it's a commercial. It's a commercial thing. They are distributing our wines in Italy, so it's not yeah. taking a while. Of course, I like to visit other wine regions. In the old days, when I had more time, uh, of course, we are very nearby France, so mm. I try to travel and to visit uh, different uh, French areas like Burgundy, Coduron, Alsace, Bordeaux, these kind of places. Trying to understand and to uh, to know something more about these regions. This was and my. Music? Do you like to listen to music or play it? Of course, listen. But <laughs> my, my kids, a couple of them that are playing. I, I'm a huge, incredible fan of a, an English group called The Pesh Mode. That is my favorite. But I like most of uh, a lot of music. Uh, it's <laughs> relaxing me a lot. Definitely. Well, well, that's so, one thing I didn't know about you that you're secretly a Depeche Mode fan. Yeah, of course. It's <laughs> Like a religion, <laughs> I'm, I, I like to to, to to go concert. So I hope that oh. also there will be a possibility to have new concert, uh, not only the Pesh Mode but also other groups and others. Well, I, I wonder if they like Barolo because maybe maybe if you swap them for six bottles of Barolo or something, you could get you could get VIP tickets to the Pesh Mode. Wow. But you, you know that in Barolo there is a huge uh, they, they organize a festival called Collisioni. It was mm. uh, an incredible, and they hosted a lot of groups, including the Pesh Mode one day. <laughs> so it's something very very nice that uh, the chance also to listen to them in in Barolo. And uh, but yeah, music is definitely one of my favorite. Uh, Fantastic, yeah. 
Thank you, Matteo. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I think yeah. anybody listening, um, you know, will, will realise what a great communicator you are, and also how brilliant your wines are. Um, nice to see you and talk to you. And I do hope I'll see you very soon, either in Barolo in Piemonte, or if not in London or somewhere else. Grazie mille. It was a real pleasure. Thank you very much, Steve. Grazie. Ciao. Ciao. Grazie. Ciao. Ciao. Well, I told you, Matteo, it was fun. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is Stephen Cronk from Maison Mirabeau in the Côte de Provence. See you then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Tim Atkin, and on Instagram, at TimAtkinMW. See you next week.